Bangly bang. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to this very special episode of the Empire Podcast dedicated to the very best of now that's what I call WandaVision Volume 3. I think I've managed to avoid the lawyers with that. I think. <laughs> Listen, folks, we miss WandaVision. It's only been gone a couple of weeks, and yes, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier have filled a hole in our hearts, but we miss Westview, New Jersey. We miss its town square in its lovely cinema and its befuddled residence. And we miss Wanda Maximoff and her husband, Mr. The Vision. So we decided to get together for a one-off special in which we count down our favourite moments from the show. And for good measure, the show's creator and head writer, Jack Schaefer, will chip in from time to time, which is very nice of her. She's very, very busy. And for this show, I am joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning, as ever, Helen O'Hara is here. Hello, Helen O'Hara. Hello, how are you? I am very good indeed. Okay. <laughs> Cannot complain. Ben Travis is here. Hello. Hello, Ben. Hi. <laughs> Sorry, I've just woken up. I've just snapped out of uh, being playing another character for weeks and weeks, and I don't know where I am or who oh, any of you people spoilers, are. Oh, spoilers. This isn't a spoiler <laughs> special, I have to say. Oh. But we will be, obviously, talking about spoilers. So, is it a spoiler special? Anyway, hmm, that's not getting involved in semantics spoilers. right now. Yeah. yeah. That's what it is. It's a special with spoilers. That's exactly what it is. It is not a spoiler special. And last but not least, joining us right now is the best dressed film journalist in the business. Uh, and I say that because he is wearing right now. What are you wearing? I'm on Warman. You are wearing. What are you wearing? I am wearing the shield of oh, Captain that's America. That's a good t shirt. <laughs> That is a good t-shirt. You can't see this right now, but I'm going to get Amon to send me a, a picture uh, <laughs> later on. And uh, I maybe I'll share it with you. Maybe I won't, but it looks very, very nice right now. Captain America t-shirt. Hey, ben, what are you wearing? Oh my God. I'm wearing a Carly Rejection t-shirt. <laughs> is that a shield as well? Oh, that was a shield. That was a rainbow. <laughs> okay. Look, Carly Rae Jepsen had been the new Captain America and no one had told oh my us. God. Give, give Carly Rae Jepsen a sword, give her Captain America shield, unless Sam wants it. Sam gets first dibs, Carly Rae Jepsen gets second dibs. Second dibs. Wow. Amazing. Okay. Ellen, whilst I'm quickly Googling Carly Rae Jepsen, can tell oh us what God. you're wearing. Oh, I'm wearing a Dartmouth t-shirt. Oh, that's very nice. Yeah, it's there from Dartmouth University or college in the US, where several of my favourite fictional characters went to university. Sam, mm -hmm. Dean. Actually, no, no. Um, no? Sam okay. went to Stanford, if I remember correctly. Oh, okay. All Dean right, didn't okay. go to university, obviously. Yeah. Um, yes, ben, and thank you. Yes, I am yeah. wearing an Iron Man t-shirt. Uh, <laughs> see, see. You can see that. Can you see that? Stand up a yeah. bit. Yeah, oh, yeah. I can, I can see, see the eyes. You can see, yeah. Oh, okay, the yeah. eyes glow in the dark. Ooh, <laughs> just like the real Iron Man. Yeah, just like the real Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, enough waffle. Let's get into it. Uh, let's get into it right now. So we are basically what I what I asked you guys to do is to send me your list of your favorite moments from WandaVision. Nine episodes. Nine episodes. Oh, my God. I miss it. I miss it so much. We're going to start with I'm going to go through. I'm going to take one from each of your lists. If you want to talk about them in depth, we can talk about them in depth. If you <laughs> want to just kind of go, that was a nice moment. Let's say no more about it. We'll do that and we'll move on. Okay. And where possible, if Jack Schaefer says something illuminating about it in our interview with her, then I'll drop that in as well. There you go. Basically, like Wanda, I'm making this shit up as I go. <laughs> so, Amon, you were the first person to send me your list and you have written down 
everyone returning in real time. That was a big moment for you. Explain yourself. <laughs> that was an awesome moment for me. <laughs> you on this way. Explain yourself. <laughs> that was an awesome moment for me. I think that's the beginning of episode four. And like, it is the beginning of episode four. It took me a second to figure out what was going on at first. But then when it dawned on me, I was like, oh, this is very, very cool. And it was actually what I wanted from Spider-Man Far From Home and what I expected to see going into Spider-Man Far From Home. But obviously uh, that film played it for last as it as it's as is its want to do. Uh, but I really, you know, preferred, I think, seeing it from this perspective. And I hope we keep returning to this moment from different perspectives as the MCU continues with these shows and with these movies. And then the, 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 the button on that scene to, for Monica to have come back uh, from five years of not existing to be told that her mother is dead is just heartbreaking and really informs yeah. her character's journey in a big way. So, so yeah, I loved it. Bold move, wasn't it? Mm. Really bold move to kill off Maria Rambo off screen for us and in the, in the middle of the the five year period. What is it? Is a five year period called the blip? The blip. Or is a five yeah, year I th- period? I think the blip the, is the is the is the period without people. Yeah. The blips is it the blip or okay, the blips a period? The blips not the moment everyone returned. What is I'm, that? I'm calling this the unsnap personally. Um, See, that's not snappy. I know. You need something I a bit snappier really than the unsnap. Yeah, but the blip I think is the f- whole period, so it's inexact to call it the blip. You know, the unblip. I mean, I don't care, the but like, it just. The return, maybe I don't know, but it's, it's really. I do think it's a fantastic moment. It was on my list as well, and the reason it's on my list is because I think it's a great example of a moment of heroism. Question mark being played for horror. So this is, you know, what our heroes work towards for the whole of Endgame. This is the Hulk snap, and um, you know, done at enormous cost, after enormous risk, and but it plays out like a horror film in this scene as well. And I think that's a really, really important perspective to have. And it's going to inform hopefully a lot of what we see going forward because there are huge, huge negative consequences. We spent a good hour on this in the spoiler <laughs> specials on Endgame. Um, you know, there are going to be huge negative consequences to the unsnap and, and that's yeah. worth discussing as well. Yeah. We talked about what happens if someone comes back in their midair. Mm. For example, they were in a plane mm. and they come back and the plane is mm. no longer there. Like I say, I feel like Hulk has, you know, incorporated that, or the, the stones have some kind of. Anyway, that really was. Really like, hope so. There's, there's several spoilers on that. You know, I think there's a sitcom in this. I really do. I think, you know, they, they could do a sitcom about all the hilarious things that happen when people come back from the snap slash blip. And not a fake sitcom like WandaVision, like a proper sitcom. Just imagine the lols as people come back and, you know, find their lovers have moved on or they get sucked into the. Propellers of an airplane. Woodwatch. Make it happen. <laughs> Woodwatch. Woodwatch. Would write and executive produce if Kevin, if you're listening, and hey, I know you are. Just make slide sure into my DMs. Zeros on the paycheck, and I am there. <laughs> I want four zeros on my paycheck, Feige. Wow. Um, but Chris, I uh, want Chris. them at the end of the number rather than at the beginning. Which okay. is- <laughs> That, that's how true. How Empire do it? I still think you could aim a little bit higher with Marvel than you do with Empire. Just, just a scooch. Okay, so we'll, we'll talk about that. What is four zeros anyway? <laughs> that's like ten thousand, isn't it? That's, that's right. <laughs> that's it. Okay, here's here's my final offer, Kevin Feige. I will write and executive produce oh, a sitcom for Marvel Studios, and my fee will be ten thousand dollars. Chris, Chris, as your agent, no, just let the Chris know. <laughs> 
All right. There you go. That's that sorted. Um, frankly, I'm no longer invested in this podcast. I've lined up my next job. <laughs> this can go hang, uh, but we might as well complete it for the sake of professionalism. Uh, Benjamin, you hand wrote your list and it was really, really lovely because uh, A, I can read your writing and B, it reminded me of how bad my writing is. <laughs> I'm so bad at writing that I'm pretty sure I'm a doctor in a past life. <laughs> Seriously, Ben, teach me your ways because I tried writing something by hand. It's actually a card for uh, Mother's Day the other day. And honestly, it was bad. Like, it was not straight. It was all squiggly. It felt like it was like a, it read like it was written by a six year old. It was horrible. And hopefully, <laughs> my, mom still, I, I was hopefully not, my mom still appreciated the gesture. I was not feeling good about my own handwriting. Um, I, I thought it was kind of sloppy, but I thought it maybe got across my excitement around this show that it was just like a splurge of words scrawled <laughs> in crazy letters across the page. Mm. Yeah, I don't know why I hand wrote mine. I think it's because we might, Chris and I were in a meeting <laughs> when I wrote this. So uh, I thought I'd leave the computer out of it. So one of your moments is Jimmy Woo being nice. Oh, he's just a nice Aww. dude when he brought the coffees to everyone. Yes. Somebody who is getting absolutely hooked on on coffee now that it's just There's down the road. There's yeah. literally nothing else in life. <laughs> we've got we've got cookie, we've got baked goods, we've got coffee. That's about it. And I just thought everyone really appreciated Jimmy Woo being a solid dude, getting the coffee and just being nice to everybody mm-hmm. and doing bits of magic. That's yes. the guy you want to have around. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I always felt he, well, I always felt, I always felt when I saw it two weeks ago, I felt that he could have had more to do in the, in the finale, but, you know, I think there might have been external factors in that. Mm. And the main factor being he was so nice that he was like, no, no, everybody else, you have your moments. I'll stand yeah. back. It's cool. <laughs> and, and also, like, he, he's not the guy you get in for the big firefight. He's the guy you get in afterwards to go, hey, is everybody feeling all right? Yeah. Do you need I anything? Coffee. Shall I get one of those foil blankets? Would you like a foil blanket? Oh, I'd love a foil blanket right now. <laughs> okay. That'd be alright, wouldn't it? There was a tweet a few weeks ago which said something to the to the effect of I would watch, you know, a Jimmy Woo uh, series where he's just solving crimes in the MCU. And yeah, again, 100%. Kevin Feige for listening. Just make sure there's zeros on that paycheck and I'm there for that one too. But yeah, uh, he, he's Wait, a really, so really fun Wait, so you expect to be paid for someone else's idea to have no, a Jimmy no, no, Woo no. investigate series? I'm the work I mean, myself. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. I mean, if you if you want to just pay me without me doing the work, I'll take that too. But, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> open to all possibilities. Uh, Hell's Bells. Yes. Uh, number 10 on your list was the choking scene at the dinner party with yeah. Fred Melamed and Deborah Jo Rupp. Well, I was—I wanted to put in something from episode one because I did really enjoy episode one, but I—I I thought it stuck so closely to the format of those shows for for such a long time, and it's really quite disorienting. And you're like, I'm having a really nice time. I'm quite enjoying this comedy, but what the hell? Why is this happening? And then it's in that choking scene that you become aware that something is deeply, deeply wrong in the state of rotten in the state of Wanda and and that's and that's a it's the disconnect that I thought was really really well played so yeah I love that I thought it was great you just like watching people joke to death isn't that what you you're sicko sicko that's me Um, yeah Mm -hmm. I did wonder why Fred Melamed didn't come back after that I wonder if there was a scheduling thing it must have been because if you have the choice to get Fred Melamed back for more surely you do like that's just that's just logic yeah but it is. It's a really, really stark, no pun intended, yeah. little moment at the end of episode one. I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, let me go now to another uh, Amon moment, uh, which is the opening credits. Now, do you mean yeah. all the opening credits? 
most of them, like the ones right before it, it gets really into MCU time and the MCU, the, the, the opening credits are sort of foregone and they go straight into uh, the show. That's something which could easily have just been you know, normal, no attention paid to it and nobody would have batted mm-hmm. an eye. But the, the fact that they actually mm-hmm. sort of took the time and the effort to really pay attention to uh, the times they were trying to evoke and put that into the opening credits. And then not only that, but the score itself took note of that and incorporated the opening credits and what they were doing musically there into the body of the show. Uh, that mm. was really, really uh, a- an interesting way to go to me. I think it, it really sort of was very effective all the way through the show. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. The, the, the first couple especially uh, were very, very good, but we all know what the most catchy song from this show is. Indeed, but we will. We shall get to that in a second because I think just looking at your your three lists, there is one <laughs> moment that is in all three lists. Only uh, one, abs- dear, dear. only one. There might be a couple, uh, but just phrased in a slightly different way. But uh, but certainly everybody here wrote Agatha all along on their lists. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but Ben, I know you also wrote down the um, every theme song, everything on your song. list, mm-hmm. all of them. Like Bobby and Kristen Anderson Lopez did such an amazing job with these. Like that was such a genius call to get those two to do these songs and the the way that they managed to inhabit each era, the way that they kept that kind of continuing chord progression, this motif mm-hmm. that can be found through every different distinct yeah. uh, song that they wrote is is so smart. And those guys write bangers, you know. We've got we've got songs that can go on my Anderson's playlist right next to Show Yourself from Frozen 2. Um, <laughs> and I will listen to that all day. Um, even from that very first episode, that opening theme tune has been stuck in my head for months now. The Like they managed to make these things so well suited to the period. And at the same time, they are just these catchy little ditties. And you could tell they had fun inhabiting all of these different areas like I, I think they said on the WandaVision assembled wrap up um, behind the scenes show that they mm-hmm. particularly loved that. doing the uh, the 70s one the mm-hmm. sort of growing is that growing pains one mm-hmm. I don't know but you could tell that they really just relished like getting the chance to dig into what the sounds of those eras were what the sitcom references they got to play with it was like a whole bonus dimension to this entire series what was your favourite? Let's take Agatha all along. We'll Aside put it to one from side Agatha all along. And not, not just of the songs, but of the actual title sequences as well. You know, everything everything working in perfect harmony, in perfect accord. What what worked best for you in terms of sound and vision? The 70s one I thought was particularly great. The ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba WandaVision. And all the images that came with that, like that was where you had WandaVision like on the swings and like cycling through the town. And it was like so cheesy and great. I loved that. With this big boof on 70s hairdo flicking around. so upsetting in that. Oh my God, the Yeah. And was that when we had terrifying like baby vision? I never want to see that again. No, that was... Um, oh, yeah, it was, wasn't it? No, hang on, was it? Oh, no, that was the 80s one. That was the, the 80s, 80s one, one yeah. was the baby vision. Which is a kind of more kind of, we got love, <laughs> that one. And then the, the one that really didn't work for me at all, I didn't like, and it's deliberately in you know, sort of discordant, is the Malcolm in the Middle style one, that sort of <laughs> screechy, rock, punky one. I didn't particularly like that one. I really liked the riff on The Office... Mm-hmm. Style, modern family style, with you know the 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 Wanda vision, the 
modern family type one with you know the instrumental theme at the end the sort of naughties one i guess but yeah if i were if we were doing a mini ranking of these right now i would go three ba, 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 ba. One, one division, division. <laughs> so good so good three seven which is the instrumental one which is the regular couple come to town that one Mm-hmm. WandaVision. Number two, which is the Bewitched style. What WandaVision? Yeah. That's so nice. That's so it good. Is. It's so mm-hmm. good. I think, I think that might be my favorite. <laughs> then the sort of ballady one. And then number six, the sort of punky one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. And then I get that all along, which is just the greatest uh, song of the 21st century. Am, am I wrong in that? It's got to be, right? I, I think there are receipts to back you up. I mean, the fact that Agatha All Along <laughs> became a legitimate chart hit. They obviously released it on iTunes, and it was it was charting number one in the US for a while. Like that was the power of Agatha All Along. Was it? The, the the song was amazing. Catherine Hahn killed it. I don't know if you've seen the the One Division assembled thing, but there's like bits of just extra yeah. behind the scenes footage of her shooting some of those moments. There's a bit where she does the and I killed Sparky too, and she cackles for about fifteen seconds before as. as she's walking yeah. away from the camera yes. and yes. it's amazing it's so good yeah it, it actually i'm a little bit sad that in the studio version of agatha all along that we don't get the laugh at the end of and i killed sparky too we need the laugh folks release the laugh cut we, release we the did laugh get cut. a little bit of it in the trap remix which is just the greatest that's the one that which i've listened to over and over again i couldn't get enough of that thing which one's that Oh, you don't know about the trap remix? Um, I Taylor don't. Pan. Am- Amon sent this on one of our groups because it was I stuck did. in my head for about a week afterwards did as well. <laughs> yeah, oh. It's so good. It's going to change your life, honestly. Like, I, I think uh, there was an Instagram, Taylor Paris sort of, uh, sort of filmed herself dancing to both, the, to, to, to both of the versions. And it's just, yeah, one is, I mean, they're, they're both great, but one is just, you feel the funk more. And, you know, at Ten of Pies, I guess she filmed herself, and that there's a marked difference to how she's dancing and how she's reacting with one compared to the other. And uh, yeah, it's, it's great. <laughs> Imagine the beat of Cardi B's I Like It, but the sample used is Agatha all along. That is the vibe. <laughs> I mean, I, I know. I, I've never felt more like Steve Rogers. <laughs> You're writing it in your little notebook now, Cardi B. Yes, Cardi B, Carly Rae Jepsen. They're all, they're all written down. The, I can send you a Spotify playlist, Chris. It's fine. <laughs> all I want is by the end of this episode to say I understood that reference and actually mean it. That's all I want. But yes, this is something I talked to Jack Schaefer about. So here she is. Here is Jack Schaefer talking about... Agatha all along, and whether she expected it to catch on in the way that it did. I did not, and that was silly of me. <laughs> because, I mean, it's Bobby and Kristen. I mean, if any, if anyone can create a song that catches fire on a global level, it is the two of them. And, and then sung by Catherine Hahn, who is like human catnip for anybody <laughs> who enjoys entertainment. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, 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 what I didn't expect were the remixes, which brought all of us so much joy and delight um 
And I, yeah, I, d- I didn't know it would be so like pervasive in that way. We, you know, we had high hopes. It was, a, it was a, you know, it was an, a concept that we came up with early on that we were like, well, if we have all these theme songs, like does Agatha commandeer the show and do her own theme song? Because we, we really enjoyed Agatha's particular humor mm-hmm. and that she's so kind of like snarky and inside baseball and like, and, and, and she's so funny, right. That she would, that she would um, do this thing that would be inside the world, as opposed to just being like, I'm the big villain and like striking someone down that she would, she would embody the like holistically the comedy of the, the space and then just slay. <laughs> we love that idea. Um and we, I think when we came up with, we didn't know who was cast at the time. And so, I mean, before even Bobby and Kristen, like back in the room, the most that we had that we were excited about was, you know, and I killed Sparky too. That just, I mean, we laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed and didn't know, like, like we thought it was so funny and would it make it in? And then the fact that it exists, it's just, it's the best. Yeah. Again, with Agatha, it was an interesting thing. I think I asked you about that for the the the, the cover feature. And um, again, it's something that you couldn't answer at that point. And week by week, we were convinced ourselves in the podcast week in, week out that Agatha, Agnes was Agatha. Then we were convinced she wasn't. Um, at what point did you settle? Was it was it always Agatha all along for you guys? Is that, the, is that something you hit, hit upon very, very early on that she was going to be the, the nosy neighbor? Yes. Yes, she was always Agatha. We always knew, you know, early, 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 it was a question of, is she a mentor? Is she an antagonist? And and pretty quickly, we realized we wanted to to have her embody more of a of an antagonist. But um, she was always Agatha. We, we thought about giving her a different name um, to sort of throw off the scent more. But I, I feel I remember a conversation with Kevin where it was like, well, people are going to figure it out. You know, like it's Catherine Hahn. You know, we, we, you know, we gave her the cameo, like it, it just, it's going to, it's going to line up for people who know the comics. And I don't know, I really like the layers of Easter eggs in the Marvel space, because there are some that are really hard to parse. And then there are ones that are right in front of your face, but not everyone is a comic reader. So mm-hmm you know, it's not, it's not going to jump out for every viewer. And I'm, I'm always thinking about the viewer who knows nothing about Marvel. Um, so, so it didn't, it never bothered me that people were guessing from the very, very beginning, because we also wait a very long time to reveal her as the antagonist and as full Agatha Harkness. So there needs to be a little bit of mystery and a little bit of tension around her for those early episodes. Um, so yeah, mm. it's a it's it's like barely an Easter egg. She kind of was her all along. <laughs> okay, and of course, what's interesting about the show is that uh, it really isn't Agatha all along. It is it is Wanda all along. Uh, you know, we see that in in episode eight in particular that she is behind what happens to Westview and to the people of Westview. And there's really interesting conversations I think to be had about her level of guilt and culpability in this and um was it important to you that that it was Wanda without outside interference it was Wanda who was responsible for for everything that happened here yeah i i i think that that's very important and 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 agatha i mean she's just messing with things yeah. like she's not actually responsible for anything and she you know she causes she's like does some things to the kids and vision and she's kind of nasty but but m- the majority of the things that she says to Wanda are true and correct and um yeah. and and she's right you know heroes don't torture people which we you know i i really love that i think it's always fascinating when the when the quote unquote villain of the series is speaking truth 
Mm-hmm. It's always more interesting to me than anything else. Um, but yeah, I, I it was important to us that it be that it be all Wanda, that it be her responsibility. Because I think, you know, we didn't want, we weren't, we weren't doing, you know, Mephisto or, you know, Nightmare or Grim Reaper or any of these other, you know, people, entities. Um, And so, so if we're not, if we're not going to like take the sort of cheap out that there's this other force, right. If we're going to give the gift of, of storytelling to Wanda, I give her the full power. She also then has the culpability and has the accountability. You know, she does that walk that we called it the walk of shame through town at the end where everyone is, you know, staring daggers at her. And, you know, I think I've seen, I've read some things online about like, you know, more accountability and more consequences for her. And mm-hmm. to me, that's not the story that we're telling. Like, that's not, that's not what this one is about. She, she does release the town. She, this, the piece that's interesting to me that I talk to my kids about is like, you know, violence begets violence and trauma begets trauma. And, you know, we talk about like how, you know, bullies were bullied. And so that sort of cycle of it is interesting to me conceptually. Mm. Um, and I, you know, she's got a long journey before her. Um, so I think, you know, everybody just needs to line up for Doctor Strange too. So there you go. That was Jack Schaefer talking about Agatha all along and Hell's Bells. Let's mm. move on to you. Um, what are your choices? You've written down here, Fietro, and then you've put down three question marks, which indicates that you're not entirely sure about your own choice. Uh, it was more like the 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 shock of Fietro turning up. Fietro yeah. was what I was trying to indicate with the three question marks. Okay. Um, because it's uh, got people talking like nothing else on the show. It spawned a bajillion stupid conspiracy theories, and sorry, um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and it was kind of hilarious. So you know, I I appreciate the 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 complete balls of that decision. Um, it was deeply stupid and wonderful, and I love it. Amon, how do you feel about all this business? The 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 Quicksilver is he or is he not Pietro? Here's the thing: I I I I know that I shouldn't feel too mad because Marvel never promised me anything in regards to what they were actually doing with uh, that character and having Evan Peters play that character. But the way in which that whole thing ended was a little bit frustrating to me because, like, you know, even with with the Paul Bettany vision thing, even though that didn't turn out the way that I thought it would, the way that it did turn out was satisfying to me on a couple of levels. With the Ralph Boner joke, it didn't feel as satisfying given sort of all the theorizing and talking that we have we had been doing uh, because of that inclusion. And again, I know that I shouldn't really feel like it because Marvel never promised me anything um, in regards to it, but it's just it just felt like a load of mad to me in the, in when when all was said and done, and that was a bit disappointing. I think my chief quibble with it is what does it mean for the audience ultimately? What does it mean for us? It wouldn't really have mattered who turns up at the in Quicksilver guys at the door, right? Because the the emotional impact of that moment is that Wanda knows it's not her brother. We know it's not her brother because we know it's Aaron Taylor Johnson in the MCU. We've even seen it in the in the recap at the beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. So whoever is knocking on the door in Quicksilver guys is not Pietro. So what did it benefit them to have it be Evan Peters? That's I guess yep. my that's the big roadblock I'm 
trying to get over it. And I know Helen, we talked about this mm-hmm. before, and you were saying it is just a, it's just a meta gag, and sometimes meta gags are fine. And yes, and I've, I'm all for it. And if you can, sometimes you can just go for a meta gag, go for a meta gag. But maybe it would have behooved them to just cast regular bloke, a bloke, just a bloke. Just a bloke with a face. That's all they needed, just like, really. Even someone else from Kickass, just not Evan Peters. Is that what you're Clark saying? Clark Duke. Just cast Clark Duke. <laughs> Christopher Mintz Plass could have been as well. You never you know. know. Mark, Mark Strong would make a lovely Pietro. Yeah. Oh, they'd have to put a wig on him, but. Uh... Oh, no. Hey, let hey. that bald head fly, man. Then. Nothing exactly. wrong with it. And it maybe would have made the point stronger that she doesn't care who it is who says it's Pietro, just as long as somebody turns up and says it's her brother. If it was Mark Strong with no hair, just like, I'm Pietro, apparently. Yeah, okay, I, I guess, I guess, I guess you're my brother now. Anyway, this is something I did speak to Jack Schaefer about. I spoke to her about Pietro, fake Pietro, whatever you want to call him, and why she brought him into the show. Evan Peters is fantastic. He's a tremendous performer. It was an idea that Mary and I had early on. Um, It was one of the few ideas that was a a bit motivated by the fan reaction, uh, Mm -hmm. which is not normally how I I work on these shows or or how I write at all. You know, I'm looking for audience reaction to emotion and to comedy usually. I don't often come at it from the sort of like Marvel fandom side, side, but we knew that this would that it would just like detonate everybody's brains and um, hearts and minds. And so we were, you know, really excited about it. It had a lot to do, you know, there's a lot of discussion about the significance and our, our strategy and our thinking about it had to do with that. He is in fact, Agatha's pawn that he's meant to mess with Wanda's head. And that we, you know, we had a, um, a grief counselor come to, to the room and we we did some research on grief and there's there's a lot about like how people remember faces and the anxiety about not remembering the faces of your loved ones that their images fade away mm. or misremembering or actively misremembering things as a self-preservation tactic so all of that became really fascinating to us and we thought that by casting Evan in the role that it would not only have that effect on Wanda, but it would have this meta layer for the audience as well, that that the audience would understand the the sort of emotional mind scramble of this being, you know, kind of close but no cigar um, for her brother. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting as well in terms of, you know, it's a show for the first, well, pretty much for the first eight and a half episodes about Wanda lying to herself as well, as she knows, she knows it's not Pietro. But she convinces herself to go along with it anyway, even though there's something nagging away at, at, at the back of her brain. Absolutely. Yes. And I also think that she, you know, she is under so much pressure. I mean, I think that, you know, w- there's also a lot of discussion online about, you know, consequences for her and the bad things yeah. that she's done. But I but I think that she also she's she's put herself on under all this pressure as as a wife and a mother and a and a and a showrunner and um and and she's controlling this town and and there are all these expectations that she's put on herself and so i i've also just found it really fascinating that she that she would kind of gaslight herself um yeah you know it felt it felt really sinister to me that she would allow herself to be manipulated at this fundamental level there you go. That's Jack Schaefer talking about Fietro and Evan Peters' role on the show. 
He didn't turn out to be Quicksilver. He didn't turn out to be Pietro from the X-Men movies, but just simply an actor called Ralph Boner. But who knows? We may well see him at some point in the MCU. What do you, what do you think? Look, I, I don't think... Uh, I, I, I probably don't... I don't think he really wants to play another superhero, I imagine. Um, but mm-hmm. more to the point, like, I, I didn't think it was going to be the way they introduced the X-Men. It, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. So I may have enjoyed mm. that because I wasn't caught up in the Ferrari. And nor was I, Helen. And nor was I. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) You have written down. But what is grief, if not love, persevering? Yeah, it's a beautiful line. I know that the internet (laughs) had some very quick backlash to it. Um, but I, mean, to me- yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen a backlash like that since Carly Rae Jepsen's second album. Am I right? Am I right? <laughs> Actually, uh, to be fair, a second album wasn't the big one. Uh, I know, but the ben. Third, Well, Emotion <laughs> is the one. Emotion is the one. Dedication is the one. It's what you need. We're all there. be a record breaker. <laughs> anyway, sorry. But- I'm on. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Um, but yeah, no, it's a beautiful line. I love it. I, I think... <laughs> It's, it's unlikely, but Vision has like, I remember messaging Helen at the time and saying that Vision has like two of the best 10 lines in the MCU, which is that one, grief of, of not love persevering, and mm-hmm. a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts in uh, mm-hmm. Age of Ultron. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. By the way, I love how one Vision sort of is making more people sort of come to the light on Age of Ultron, but that's a conversation. It's still not podcast. great. I watched it again uh, <laughs> after episode two or so, and it's it's still not great. But there are great okay. moments in it, and the scene okay, between Helen. Vision and Ultron is one of them. And yeah. and I think that I I have that same scene, uh, Vision and Wanda in uh, mm-hmm. in the Avengers compound on my list because I just think it's it's beautifully played, and I love that sort of. I guess it's kind of young Vision learning his way. Vision, you know. Um, I think we kind of skipped over that that stage of his life a little bit between films, but I think it's really, really nicely played. He's he's that that incredible balance of sort of, you know, lack of knowledge and naivete and youthfulness and absolute perfect knowledge and it, it, wisdom and insight at the same time. And it's a, it's a really, yeah. really wonderful combination that he somehow manages to consistently hit. And I know that line got a lot of shit. I know it did. But I actually think it is a, a beautiful line. I don't know it's the best line ever, as some yeah. people were saying on, on Twitter, that, that screenwriters <laughs> would just quit and discuss that they hadn't written that line. But, yeah. you know, I saw the effect it had on my wife, for example. And so I know that it means a lot to me. It means a lot to me as mm. well. And I actually think it's a really, really lovely, lovely way of looking at grief. Mm-hmm. And it really helps. And the show is all about coming to terms with grief and Wanda moving past her grief. And if that's one of the lines that helps her and thousands of people around the world come to terms with it and see it from a different perspective, then more power to his elbow. Yeah. I, I don't think there was a backlash against the line so much as the rather grandiose claims made of the line. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. which is there, which yeah, is fine. Yeah. But then, but beyond that, so there's a backlash to the you know to the initial claim that's one of the best mm. lines mm. of the year. But then you do get people going. Well, basically, isn't it just like a self help quote? Isn't it basically just a motivational poster that you put up in your dorm room at university, and it's a little bit glib, a little bit bland? You know, how can a superhero show lay claim to being profound? I don't think so. I think you know that you know. That I know people on Twitter who were really, really affected by it. Really, really smart people. Really, really good writers mm. who were affected by it, and and perhaps you know, and 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 realized that it did a really good job of 
of summing up something that is very, very fucking difficult to sum up. Yeah, completely. And it feels like that line, I think something Marvel does really well and that it's managed to do through the movies. There are there are quotes, there are ideas, there are these little nuggets that become part of the wider cultural consciousness on your left is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think this absolutely continues that tradition. I think this is a line that is going to be associated with the show for a long, long time and that people are, are really going to remember when they think back to this show and watching mm. it unfold because it's a really, really good line. And like you said, it's it's so succinct, but it manages to capture so much of what the show is about in the space of, what, seven words? What is grief? If not love, persevere. Seven words. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Let the record show that Ben just counted on his fingers. <laughs> I also just like that scene for the fact that we hadn't really seen the moment where Wanda begins to fall for Vision up until yeah. we've seen that moment. I mean, th- you think about how much we've seen of their relationship, uh, and, and even this line comes quite deep into the show. But yeah, it's, it's effective on, on that level too. And yeah. it really sort of helps inform you know, their relationship and sort of how they develop their bond. Because I think in Age of Ultron, all we see is, I mean, I say all we see, Vision does save Wanda from you know, collapsing uh, so, uh, city, um, but mm. we go straight from there into civil war, and they're sort of already, you know, pretty. Wouldn't say lovey dovey, but they're, they're they're very much in the relationship. We haven't really sort of. But they're not, they're not even the a couple in civil war. They they haven't that that the, the, the paprika thing. I mean, that doesn't get more couple than that. That's yeah, that's flirting. That's flirting. They're not they're not a couple yet okay. at that point. So there's okay. a, there's an awful lot of heavy lifting done because mm. um, between Civil War and Infinity War, by the time we meet them in Infinity War, they're in a relationship and they've been in a relationship and at some point, but we don't see when that happens. And everything everything moves at such a pace in Infinity War that I think that they probably made the right decision, which is just go, look, okay, Vision and Wanda, they love each other, they're in a relationship, just go with it because we need you to go with it. Otherwise, this film doesn't work. We need you to believe that these two love each other. Um, otherwise, the, the emotional impact of the of the last 20 minutes just does not work. And it does. And we bring our knowledge of the comics and their knowledge that there are a couple mm-hmm. in the comics or were a couple in the comics or have been a couple in the comics. One of the great Marvel couples for me, I would say. And mm-hmm. But yeah, there's an awful lot of, there's an awful lot of empty space for them to explore. And an awful yeah. lot of an awful lot of the relationship that's taken for granted in between Civil War and Infinity War for me. Something that all three of you wrote down is Monica goes through the hex. I thought this was one of the most visually stunning moments of the show. Like It was such an interesting way that they presented that. As she's striding through, she's kind of warping into different versions of herself. It felt just like a really, really impressive moment. And also the way that as she's entering the hex, she's hearing echoes of her mum and of her past. I thought it just worked on a visual level, on a thematic level. And it was a really, really cool powers origin. Like it's been quite a while since we've seen a powers origin in anything Marvel based. We've been with fairly established characters for a long time now. And it just felt really refreshing to see something that worked this well and it looked cool as hell. Yeah, I'm all here for for origin stories that are, you know, economically told and and well done and I thought this was both. Uh so I thought it it played really really well and yeah, it looked fantastic which they don't always. So mm. and it gave her some 
agency in it. It's not just a matter of oh, she was bitten by a radioactive, you know, electrical pole. She was. She actually chooses <laughs> it. You know, she puts herself in the line of danger, and uh, and and you know, goes in even knowing that something might happen to her as a result, and that speaks volumes about her character. Yeah. Because she gets a cool superpower. We're not entirely sure exactly what she can do at this point <laughs> not, in time. Not quite, no. No, but she can she can repel bullets or absorb bullets or bullets can pass through her or she can basically she can see all the spectrums of light. In the comics, she can be super, super fast, like super fast, but not in the same way as Quicksilver. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they explore her power set in, in Captain Marvel 2. But it is a big gamble for her because she absolutely could have ended up like Senator Kelly in X-Men and just <laughs> turned into a big gloopy <laughs> puddle, <laughs> which wouldn't have helped anybody, uh, ultimately. Yeah, I really like that moment. It's a, it's a lovely moment. Um, I have to say, I love how utterly nonplussed Hayward is when she displays <laughs> superpowers in front of him. It's like, hang on a second. You couldn't do that 10 minutes ago. Why can you do that now? <laughs> Anywho, next one. This is a Hell Spells choice. The stork Ooh. slash birth scene. <laughs> I just thought it was really well played comedy. I think that, you know, while it is a show that's ultimately about grief and about quite serious stuff, it's also a show that is at times quite funny in a way that we haven't seen Marvel do outside of maybe Ant-Man and, and scattered moments in the and other that, films. And the Wasp. Sorry, sorry. I should say on behalf of, of you know, certain fans that uh, oh Marvel always has silly humour in everything <laughs> oh yeah just so glib yeah glib uh. um, however uh, this this is the kind of thing we haven't seen them do very very often so I thought it was it was nicely silly and played very much like one of those old sitcoms very much like oh the magic's gone out of control I can't handle it you know here let me hold a bowl of fruit in front of the thing that I can't let you see Kind of stuff. I just I thought that whole scene played brilliantly, and of course, it then has this weird emotional point, which is that she has two babies as well. And okay, mm. whoa, yeah, that happened. Yeah, I legitimately laugh every time that um, she has the first baby, Billy or Tommy, and then she is with Vision and she's doing her breathing exercises, and he's going ho 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 ho, ho. and then she's like she's all calm again, and she starts screaming. She goes ah. That's a genuinely funny moment. I don't think I've captured the comedy in my retelling of it, but trust me, it's a really funny moment. Um, and you know, it wasn't a full blown sitcom. We know that it was never meant to be. And some of the jokes, especially in the fifties sitcom, are are cheesy to the point of I wonder if the studio audience was laughing more out of <laughs> you know if they needed sympathy. people to laugh. At us. Yeah, sympathy, and they were probably being prodded with electric prods uh, as well. That 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 will help uh, certainly. But you know, by and large, I thought it was pretty damn funny at times. Amon, as a famously humorless mm. person, what did you think of it? <laughs> Oh my god, you're getting cast in the James role. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, no, I, I did sort of have fun with that moment. And those moments for me were sort of the, the the most effective and the best moments in the early episodes. Like, for me, I think partly because uh, I haven't seen uh, the shows that it was paying homage to, I did find mm-hmm. the, uh, the early episodes a little bit slow going. Um, but what was sort of I wouldn't say saving it for me, but what what really helped in in that regard were the performances and was was the humor and and were the visual touches as well. Helen, you mentioned that moment at the dinner table. What the a show does visually in that moment with the camera is, is very very clever and very very effective. Mm. Um, 
So, so yeah, I, I agree. Speaking of funny stuff, two people wrote this down their list, and if I had made a list, it would have been in my list as well. Drunk vision. <laughs> Flourish! <laughs> Flourish! <laughs> yes. It, it, it's now solidified an idea that there should be a scene with every member of the MCU where they are very drunk, and we just see what happens. I need to see that. I need to see what, what? Well, we've seen. We've seen drunk Thor. That was kind of sad, to be honest. But what happens if Steve Rogers gets pissed? Can he like, get pissed? He can't. He can't. Yeah. Oh Remember, god, he tries. Too... He tries the oh, first Avenger, yeah. but he can't because his metabolism won't let him. Oh my god! Yeah, unless he just like drank a load of Buckfast outside a, a, an offy with Buckfast. <laughs> 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 oh my word! Holy. Anyway, uh, we've seen drunk Tony, but that was played more for just awful horror. Yeah. Uh, than anything else. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah. I feel like Doctor Strange getting drunk could get really crazy. Um, <laughs> if he's in close proximity to magical stuff while drunk, that could get really wild. Well, you know the way yeah. I, I hear when people get drunk, like, you know, the, the floor sort of moves around beneath them and everything kind of gets dizzy. Like, the whole world could literally start spinning <laughs> in the wrong direction, I mean, if he, yeah. got, if he got too drunk. Yeah. It's true, he can't get drunk, because if he gets drunk and loses control, he might get in a fight with someone and they might end up in Alaska or something like that. He might just do one of his little shaky hand portals and then just Maybe that's how the in. multiverse begins. This is the multiverse of madness starts because Doctor Strange goes on a massive bender. <laughs> he wakes up, what did I do last night? And the world is in chaos. It's, it's the hangover, but Doctor Strange and MCU. Oh my God, yeah. I really want to see that now. <laughs> He wakes up with a frost giant in his bedroom. Like, what, what did I do? What did I do? Just cast that Galifianicus. He's just back as himself. He's also wow. in the room and he's part of whatever happened on this crazy night. Do it. That is an extraordinary pronunciation of his name, by the way. <laughs> what? I don't even know what I said. I think it just said Galifianicus. You committed to a, a collection of letters and <laughs> I admire you for that. Galifianicus. Galifianicus. Well... Yes, Drunk Vision was great. Like, that was really funny, that 60s mm. stuff. The whole thing of he is actually doing magic, but Wanda's trying to explain it away. And obviously, we know that Agatha's sort of facilitating that as well. Um, I loved all the little cutaways to the animated Vision, where you could see the piece of chewing gum, like, churning up his, his <laughs> yes. inner gears. was just a really, like, quaint image. And Bethany killed this whole show. I thought he was amazing in mm. basically every scene. Yeah. He he did the emotional stuff incredibly well. He was great as White Vision, but Drunk Vision is the number one canonical Vision. He was so much fun in that mm -hmm. sequence. I could watch an entire sitcom of Drunk Vision. Yeah, absolutely. He was channeling Rick Mail. I mean, he's been funny and stuff before. If anyone's watched Gangster mm -hmm. Number One, they'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, no, he's been funny and stuff Knight's like Tale. Um, Night's Tale. Yeah, he kills in that in no, that he's film. So good in that. Yeah. But yeah, by and large, he has been. <laughs> <laughs> there we go that's it yeah drunk vision love a bit of drunk vision uh all right so the ship of theseus oh, the ship of theseus yeah. it was yes. on a couple of your lists i adore the fact that when vision it comes time for the big smackdown baddie ver vision versus goody vision oh no it's all about to go down so they have a chat <laughs> figure it out. I adore that. I could not love it yeah. more. And um, and it does essentially, you know, come down to the Sugar Babes, which is the authentic Sugar Babes lineup. Is it the new Sugar Babes or the reformed original Sugar Babes? How do we, which is even the real Sugar Babes anymore, you know? Does MKS count as the Sugar Babes? Right? 
you know. Like, <laughs> I understood that reference. Yay! <laughs> yeah. We did it. We did it. <laughs> and I can put Sugar Babes on that playlist for you too, Chris. Don't worry. Oh. <laughs> this is huge. It, anyway, it's wonderful. And it yeah. means that there is still a vision in the world, um, it does. which I'm thrilled about because he's one of my faves. A very different vision, very angry vision. Amon, Perhaps. what do you think of that? I think in the 24 hours after I watched the episode in which this scene played, the finale, I think I used I requested admiration about eight times in normal conversation, <laughs> sometimes when it wasn't even warranted, because I love that line so much. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's exactly what Helen says. Just th- That is exactly the way a vision versus vision fight should be resolved, through cold, hard logic. Mm. And I love how it subverted expectations in that way and just went that route. And I thought it was great. Indeed. Just a couple of last ones, and then we can go home. Wanda becomes the Scarlet Witch. A couple of you wrote that down. Yes, Explain why. Amon. Marvel is really good at doing the... Uh, not only is it really good, but it really likes doing the... You think one thing is happening, but gotcha! You were wrong. Uh, they did the same thing with Endgame uh, in terms of Thanos thinking that he had the gauntlet, but actually Tony has the gauntlet. And with this one, watching it for the first time, I thought Wanda was missing uh, Agatha when she's trying to sort of fire her hexbox at her, but it actually turns out she was making runes uh, to stop uh, Agatha from using her magic, which is just very, very clever and very, very satisfying. Plus, the costume is hella dope as well. <laughs> and that was good. <laughs> I think it was cool as well because I don't think any of us went into this show going, oh, it's going to be effectively, as much as we already know a lot about Wonder, it's going to be the Scarlet Witch origin story. Mm. I don't think we ever mm-hmm. really expected that they were going to nope. take Wonder Maximoff and go, okay, and now she is Scarlet Witch. And the way that the show became that show across the course of, of the nine episodes was really, really smart. It was such a cool episode. I, I, I didn't, I enjoyed, but I didn't love a lot of the aerial fight stuff in that last episode. But that reveal of, mm-hmm. of, of Wanda having been in charge of stuff all along, she's been casting the runes, she had a plan, and the way that she flips that switch is really well handled. And like Hamon said, hella dope. Like that, the way that they designed that, the way that they stayed true to yeah. the comic, comic bookiness, but also the the little bits of detail that they brought into the headdress and the neckline mm. with the little uh, mind stone flourishes and stuff. Great. Really cool. Mm. It was also really good what they did with the score in that moment. I love the score for this by Christoph Beck in general. Yeah, really Christoph good. Beck did the, did the score for both Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp. And it's really, really good what he does here. It actually reminded me of Michael Cuccino's score for um, Spider-Man Far From Home in having a theme that can go villainous or heroic. And Wanda is a character who can go either way. And in both, uh, and, in, and in the show, the, 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 the music sort of, you know, reflects that. And in that moment in particular, when Wanda is fully coming into her own, we get to hear that theme in all its glory, mm. uh, and it's really, really well done. Mm. When I spoke to Kevin Feige for the cover feature before the before I'd seen a, anything of the show apart from the, the trailer, I said, you know, she's known as Wanda in this universe. She's never been called the Scarlet Witch, and you know, we're talking about why he wanted to focus on on Wanda in this show because it is Wanda's show. That's that's be honest. You know, Vision is part of the title, and Bentley's fantastic, and he's part of the show's fabric, absolutely. But ultimately, it's Wanda's journey, Wanda's show. 
uh, and her journey towards becoming the Scarlet Witch that takes up a lot of the show's bandwidth. And he said it's because, you know, Wanda Maximoff is arguably the most powerful character we've seen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, mm-hmm. even more than Captain Marvel, even more than Thanos, even more than Sonny Birch. And also she's been tainted by the most grief. And she has. She suffered uh, a bit like Thor. Like, you know, that, that terrible 40, you know, that terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day that Thor has in Thor Ragnarok, where he loses his dad, his... Uh, and between between Thor Ragnarok and Infinity War, the opening of Infinity War, in about a forty eight hour period, Thor loses his dad. He gets reintroduced to his sister, who he then kills. He his brother is killed in front of him. He has his eye plucked out. His planet blows up. <laughs> then half the survivors of the planet are killed in front of him. And his best friend, don't forget. <laughs> You're forgetting the friend. worst thing out of all of that. He <laughs> loses Mjolnir. He loses his power. Oh. oh my god! I mean, that's a bad. We didn't day. even mention the Warriors Three, but them too. Uh, like, who cares about the Warriors Three? I mean, honestly, not Taika Waititi. I tell you that much. My goodness. <laughs> uh, yes. So he has probably the worst day in the MCU, but Wanda has a load of grief as well, and the it was never really properly explored. And a bit like you guys, I didn't think it was going to end up with her becoming the Scarlet Witch uh, in in moniker uh, or indeed in, in, in appearance as well. And these little misdirects, like in, I think it's in episode four where Hayward's getting a briefing on her and goes, Wanda Maximoff, that's her name, no funny names, no code names, <laughs> no, no superhero yeah. crap, etc. And then obviously in episode six, episode six, when... Vision's out and about and they're dressed in their Halloween costumes, we get to see a version of what she would wear in the comic books. So yeah, so the fact that she's now properly the Scarlet Witch and she's reading basically an evil <laughs> book of spells, where do you think she's going to go? It might, it might not, not be, be evil. evil. It looks fairly evil. Um, the mean- evil person was using it <laughs> and it was checked out of an evil library. So I'm guessing that it's largely evil. Well, who cares what we think about Wanda turning into the Scarlet Witch? I asked Jack Schaefer about the show's major transformation, and here's what she had to say. From where I'm sitting, you know, we land, the intention was to land Wanda in this place of acceptance, but also with this enormous amount of new power. Um, and, you know, we all know the saying about with great power. Um, and so, and I also think her exchange with Agatha, I don't know, gives her so much confidence. You know, like she really, she so fully steps into herself um, that I, I, the enormity of her power um, in my mind starts to make some sort of like normal human concerns about what's right and wrong. They a little bit drift away because she is Mm -hmm. this, she is this being that is so, so, so different. Um, So we leave her with this curiosity about, about who she is and, and what she can do. And that was Jack Schaefer talking about where we leave Wanda and where she left Wanda at the end of WandaVision, about to go into Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, of course. And what do we think Wanda is going to be ultimately in the MCU? Is she going to be a goodie, for want of a better word? Is she going to be a baddie? Is she going to somehow tip the scales between good and evil in the MCU, given her incredible newfound powers? Where do you think? She'll end up. I think nothing good comes from the dark hold. <gasps> that's that's the foreword, in fairness, by Cthulhu. 
<laughs> right now, if I had to put money on one one on on which way she's going to go, I'd probably say she's going to go villainous. Um, <gasps> which is not something which you know the, the last like couple of episodes, I was a very strong advocate of Doctor Strange is going to show up, and if he doesn't show up, he should be fired for negligence because you're the sorcerer <laughs> supreme. All this stuff is going down. Where the hell are you, man? You don't know. He might be like fixing a planet somewhere. We don't know. <laughs> he better be doing something. He's got stuff. Mm. He has things. <laughs> and again, I'm going to have to say this. He is not the Sorcerer Supreme yet. No, 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 no. He is very much the Sorcerer Supreme. No, he's not. He introduces himself to Thanos as, you know, you're, you're, you're about to be, you know, mixing up with the Master of the Mystic Arts. He was all about... Master of the Mystic you know, Arts? That's a very different thing. His business card does not say Sorcerer Supreme. But he's wearing the Time Stone. I feel like we're getting into a much longer well, conversation here. More, but- <laughs> does the Time Stone choose the Sorcerer Supreme? Is that... How you think, think it that's, works? That's certainly been the implication to me. Okay. Yeah. All right. I still think he has to do a test, like a written test. Written and a practical. And a practical. And a practical. Like, who's going to yeah. judge the practical? Wong. Wong. Obviously, Wong. I mean, yeah, but Wong's already like thrown his lot in with Doctor Strange since the end of, yeah. you know, Doctor Strange. I know. So. I, know I know we're getting off the beaten path, but I don't think they would. <laughs> You've met I the Emperor have... podcast, right? <laughs> 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 I don't think they would have a line, you have power that exceeds that of the Sorcerer Supreme. Mm-hmm. Knowing that Wanda's about to be going into Multiverse of Madness mm-hmm. if Doctor Strange wasn't the Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah. He will become the Sorcerer Supreme. Oh, boy. But I think the beginning, <laughs> honestly, the beginning of uh, Multiverse of Madness is just going to be him doing a written exam. That's what it's going to be. That's the, that's in, real time. In, in real time. In real time. <laughs> Three hours pre-credit yeah. sequence. Would not watch. All along, we've been wondering who the bad guy in, in Multiverse of Madness would be. Is it Nightmare? Is it Mordo? It, no, it's the Invigilator. That's who it is. It's like, it's not allowing strange Yes, you must leave your calculator outside. That's what's happening there. There would have to be somebody to stop him cheating in exams. Like, he could use the Time Stone as like a time turner, you know, yeah, and just could. like yeah. ace that shit. Yeah. Well, again, the, the Time Stone is, is a non factor at this point. I know, but, but yeah. I, I take it point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So let's let's try and get back on the beaten path. I've completely forgotten what we were talking about. Uh, Wanda goes full witch. Yes, very very excited about that. I think if she goes full villain, though, Amon, I think it's going to be. Is that going to be just a step backwards a little bit after after this? I mean, but having said that, you know how heroic is she? She basically leaves Agatha in a state of a perpetual torture. I, I think she's going to be. We, she wants to go and find her kids, right? I think she's going to be doing something that we all generally sympathise with, but with the underlying understanding of, hey, if you pursue this stuff, it's going to have really bad consequences. Like it's going to be that 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 Hellboy thing where she is the harbinger of the apocalypse, and she mm. can't help mm. that. Like that is just what she is going to do. But yeah, she yeah. is trying to use this power to do something that we all kind of get on board with, that we know she's doing stuff for good reasons, but the, the, there are going to be knock-on effects that will be bad and that will likely need her to be stopped. Is my That's my take. Yeah. A good take. Helen, you wrote down Fission asking if he's a real boy with Darcy and the Fission family <laughs> square off against the world. Why did you pick those moments? So the the, the scene with Vision and Darcy in the, in the sort of, bus thing, um, I think was just really nicely played because I think it shows how Wanda's creation of Vision 
has been very unfair to him as well as everyone else and how she's I, I think it goes again to show his compassion because I think he's still he's devastated by that conversation like it's really really tough for him it's kind of learning that he's been essentially created or reanimated out of nothing um for Wanda and that he may not have may not be entirely real and and yet he still has compassion for her and he still the next time we see him sort of goes yes i know what's happening now and 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 it's okay and i think i don't think that's entirely her creation i think that's vision himself and i think it's really really mm. lovely so i just thought that whole scene was was quite tragic and quite beautiful um and the vision vision family kind of squaring off in defense of their little world at the end you know it's a doomed um, effort and those are always kind of wonderful but it's also one of the few moments where we get to see them all four interact as a group and it's one of the few moments where you thought that these people might have some independent reality outside of the hex and so I thought mm. that was a really important moment as well. Got a very Incredibles vibe from that. Yeah, very much so. Uh, stand off the building, which is very cool. Yeah, where's their jack-jack? That's what I want to know. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but I think that shows the, the, the scene with Darcy, I think that shows that Wanda may have created Vision, but somehow she managed to nail his inherent goodness and that mm-hmm. somehow overcame the construct that she made for him. Yeah. It's a very, very compl- complex spell she's made with this Vision. You know, she's she's made vibranium out of real air, uh, which is then able to just disappear again. But, uh, but she gets the essence of him just right uh, and then gives him his own agency. As well, yeah. only tampering with them at a couple of moments in the first in the first few episodes, and the the inherent essential decency of the mandroid comes through. I synthesoid. think towards the the synthesoid, yes, um, <laughs> comes through towards the end of 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 the show and, and from the off, but you know, but especially towards the end of the show, which brings us to a moment I think we all put in our lists, which is the farewell, the final goodbye, the end of the show, uh, quiet moments of reflection. Wanda and Vision know that their time is short. She's finally accepted that. She's moved on beyond trying to cling to this memory of what she never had, really, mm. which is interesting in itself. But they say goodbye to Billy and or Tommy. And then they have that really, really lovely exchange, you know, with all those those beautiful lines about, you know, I can't remember because I haven't written we, them down. We but, said goodbye but, before. Yes, we'll say hello again, kind of thing. Yes, yeah. stands to reason. We'll say hello again, and you know, I've been a, I've been a, a voice up a tree, uh, a man with a box, all those things that Vision says. Who knows what I'll be again? <laughs> I, I love that because I, I think it, it was felt really satisfying that it was a moment of letting go, but it was also there was a moment. There was a note of hope in there. There was a mm. sense of their relationship is so improbable on so many levels. They are improbable as characters, as people. Their relationship is improbable. And I love that within that improbability is the possibility of something for them in the future. And I think that was just a really, really poignant note for them to go out on. Um, and I do have hope that there might be something for them. Obviously, White Vision is out there. Wonder is Scarlet Witch now. She is capable of spontaneous creation. It might not be the end for them. And it, there was that lovely sort of subtext to it as well with Paul Bettany's journey through the MCU that he started as a voice, as mm-hmm. and then suddenly he becomes a physical presence in the MCU as Vision. And then it grows to the point that he gets to put 
this amazing performance forward through this show that he never could have expected. And it felt like a nice sort of moment of reflection for them as well, inhabiting these roles and that who knows, Mm. they might, they might get to do something cool like this in the future and share more screen time. And yeah, just a beautiful moment all around. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. And as, as you were saying, Ben sort of underlined how wild Vision's journey has been. And you know, before this show, I um, I thought that uh, Steve Rogers had the most crazy MCU journey uh, of anybody, of any hero, in terms of going from a scrawny little kid in the 1940s to leading the world's greatest army of superheroes and gods and warriors into battle while wielding the power of the gods. That's an insane sort of journey over how many films. But if you like, I think a few weeks ago I did like the um how it started and how it's going tweet with Vision, <laughs> and it's equally insane because like I think I picked the a, a thing from Iron Man in terms of him just being the voice of Jarvis, and then I picked the how it's going. He, he had he has this really weird costume on. I think it's one of those opening credit bits uh, where they're doing like their skits, like homaging the show. And he's got one of these weird sort of clown costumes, clown costumes on, holding up two kids, like. I would never have guessed that this is where Jarvis and Vision was going. And that just sort of underlined everything in a really, again, succinct, uh, but very effective way. Mm. I loved it. It's so nice. I really hope there is more for them because I love them together. Time for one last bit of Jack Schaefer, I'm saying. Uh, and I spoke to her about the finale and I spoke to her about writing that scene between Wanda and Vision and saying farewell to them and putting all the nice words into their mouths. The last bit of that scene where they're standing together and they say, you know, we said goodbye before and his questions about who he is and, mm. and um, all that, that was, that was early stuff. Um, the, you know, the, 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 the finale took forever to write and was being rewritten almost to the end in terms of like all of the action pieces and the logic pieces of like Scarlet Witch's power and like all of that stuff, you know, and then, you know, COVID, there was some, you know, logistical rewriting, but that scene was shot early it was shot um well, a long time ago it was early in the production schedule because it was written early in the in this in um in the process um and it was the heart of the show for me it it you know some of that language was part of my pitch um it was originally she had to perform a binding spell to bind her back to him uh, back to herself um so that that sort of like magic piece of it shifted but it was always and when i pitched it to paul i pitched it as this like him saying i've been all these things what could i be next that was always really important to me and and i could see it very very clearly um and also it was a little bit born of the fact that that we've been here before with them you know they've done this before which is horrible and kind of crazy that as storytellers we signed up to to tell what could be seen as the same story over again Mm. but that was my way of sort of reconciling at that, that that's so beautiful. Like they are, this is what makes them special and magical is that they've been at this precipice before. And, and, you know, this is a, you know, vision is a man as a, is a synthesoid of, stati- of statistics. Right. Mm. So it actually does make scientific and probable sense that there will be more. <laughs> and again, the contrast between their farewell and Infinity War, where Wanda is sobbing, it is breaking her heart, it's breaking his heart as well. Neither of them mm. want to do it. This time, this time they're more at peace with it. He's more at peace with the idea. Listen, you know, look at what I am now. Look at what I could be tomorrow. And she's she's finally 
able to let go of him in 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 that way. Yeah. Well, that that I mean, that was always the goal of the show. That was always the 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 end point. The finish line was acceptance. Um, yeah. And we worked very hard to give you know Paul a really thorough arc for himself. And so it it landed with acceptance, you know, for him too, and acceptance of himself and his identity and how multifaceted that identity is. But yeah, I mean, that was always, that was always the goal as opposed to, you know, having people wrenched away from her that she has to, she has to say goodbye voluntarily on her own terms in her own way. And that that would afford her um, a measure of peace that we've we've never seen her mm. possess before. It, it's notable that she says to Billy and Tommy, "Thank you, f- thanks for choosing me to be your mother." Where did that Where did that line come yeah. from? Yeah, you know what? That was written by Laura Donnie. Um, okay, uh, she she is so good with these delicate scenes, and um, and she helped me with that scene. And it's so funny because um, I'm a mom; she's not a mom. But there's something really beautiful about that sentiment. I do feel that way about my children that, that, you know, in this world for Wanda, um, vision and the children are the only entities that she cannot control. Um, and it's because they were created whole cloth by her. And there's something mystical about that. And that's how I feel about my own kids. Like, where did they come from? I don't know. Like, yes, I'm responsible for bringing them into this world. But but at some point, that responsibility, that like ownership, like has a limit. And then and then there's like this huge chasm of of mystery. Um, and, and yeah, there's a, there's a notion of like, they had some agency in it. So if you're asking if there's like a, you know, there's like a larger MCU thing to that, I have no answer. It's much more about the emotional side of it. And that Wanda in that moment recognizes the gift that, Mm. that is these children. Jack Schaefer there talking about the incredibly emotional farewell, the latest incredibly emotional farewell between Wanda and Vision. And, you know, guys, I think that. It shows the canvas that these shows present and the opportunities they present, not just for the showrunners and the writers and Matt Shackman, the director, but also for the actors themselves. What an incredible opportunity it has been for, for Lizzie Olsen and Paul Bettany to really dig into these characters in a way that the, the larger MCU, the requirements of the larger MCU, where they were, you know, they had their moments, they were impactful and we loved them, but they were basically just pieces on a chessboard being moved around willy nilly as if it's a larger story. Now they get a chance to really dig into it. And I think Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan were already beginning to see elements of that in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I think we're going to see it with Tom Hiddleston and Loki, who's had probably more screen time than any of them so far. Uh, Jeremy Renner, I think we're going to go see really dig into Clint in, in Hawkeye. And it's kind of made me wonder that I, <laughs> I do wonder if some of the bigger names in the MCU. I think the Hemsworths and the Evanses and the Downies are always going to be served, well served in terms of character development and big moments. But I wonder if someone like a Ruffalo or a Cumberbatch or or a Walter Goggles might look at, at <laughs> the opportunities afforded in these shows and go, actually, I wouldn't mind that. What, what do you think? Or, do they, or are they happy? Is Cumberbatch going to be happy playing Doctor Strange as long as he's a big old fucking movie every every few years or every five years, six years by the time mm. Doctor Strange 2 comes out? Or will they want the opportunity to really get to explore these characters and, and dig into it in a, in a one-off limited series? I don't think they're going to feel too hard done by, are they? I mean, I feel like, you know, I don't know. I feel like, you know, Doctor Strange is headlining his own films. Uh, mm. uh, Ruffalo, 
I think I get the sense he's having quite a good time just hanging out with everybody and is quite okay, you know, yeah. pouring his creative energies into his, mm. you know, interesting little art, sort of indie films and, and obviously his his campaigning, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, and he will be in She-Hulk. We know and that. He will That's be in She-Hulk and say, so on. Yeah. 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 So so I kind of feel like there's there's if you if I was one of those guys, I'd be very happy just popping up occasionally in one of these or one of the mainstream films and you know, everybody going, Hey, it's that guy. I love that guy. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, picking up my check and, you know, going and jumping in my pool. Yes. I feel like Making that would sure be Making sure the zeros are less very important. Okay. And again, they're getting more than four zeros, <laughs> yes. Chris. Yeah. So I think that's really important oh, to make clear. Yeah. Okay. That's good. And and after the big number as well. <laughs> that's important. That's right. Yes. If the and four zeros the are dots. at the beginning of the number, and before it's the not so great. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just a little little, little help, helpful hint for you there. Yeah, just a negotiation tactic there. Yeah. Don G. Adel is, uh, of course, going to be in Armor Wars as well. So we're going to get it to dig into, into Rhodey. Um, so this is all exciting. I think it's just a nice avenue for characters who never felt like they would necessarily get the opportunity to headline a mm. movie. Like, mm. I, I think it does feel like a, ch- a space for those sorts of characters to flourish um, rather than a, a sort of substitute for a movie or rather than... Yeah, it's just it's just a new space that's opened up that I don't think anyone really anticipated would work as well as it does. But this has just been the perfect example of of how well it can develop these characters compared to kind of getting just little moments here and there as as sort of yeah side characters. It'll be interesting to see what happens in future in terms of which heroes sort of become bigger in the wider scheme of things and how that will affect who gets a show and who gets a film. Um, because all these sort of new characters coming up, I think it's leading to sort of big films in terms of Avengers and that sort of thing. Once that starts happening, will the Doctor Strangers of the world be slightly minimized and sort of have their stuff on TV as opposed to, or on Disney Plus as opposed to film? Uh, we're going to have to wait and see. But I think that may be sort of one of the ways it could go, if that makes sense. Mm. But it is interesting there, if you, you even just used the word minimized. And I would argue that the success and cultural impact of WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier would indicate that they, this, this grand experiment has already been successful in that these are no longer seen as lesser shows in the way that, you know, I didn't watch many, if any, of the Marvel TV shows over the years because it just it wasn't, you know, it wasn't Feige approved. I need the stamp of Kevin on it. Even something as as fun as apparently Agents of Shield gets, mm, I wasn't be, yeah. on board for it. Agent Carter, I watched, I thought it was great, but that's when he's running for two seasons. Watched a few of the Netflix shows until they they're just relentless drudgery, just wore me down. But Lee's come with the seal of approval. Lee's are the real thing. This is a real deal, and I don't know that there is such a distinction anymore. Uh, yeah. For example, Black Widow's about to come out, and I wonder if people are uh, more excited about the Disney Plus shows right now than Black Widow. That may change in the in coming weeks as the hype builds up for it. But yeah. I would argue right now, if you if you if you asked us, if you polled us in this room right now, what are we more excited about? Falcon and the Winter Soldier and how that pans out and plays into the larger MCU, Loki and how that pans out and plays into the larger MCU, or Black Widow, I would I'd probably say Falcon and Winter Soldier and Loki. <laughs> Back with the soldier agree. by far. <laughs> Gotta say. No, I'm Black, Team Black Widow here. I okay, think we're back in the game. <laughs> 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 On 
On that note, I think it's a good note in which to end because that is it for our The Very Best of Now. That's what I call One Division Volume 3 podcast in which we distilled nine episodes into just over an hour, folks. That's not bad. That's pretty good going. Pretty happy with that. Uh, if you liked what you heard here, and I know you probably didn't, but let's pretend for a second that you did, and you don't subscribe to our spoiler special channel, well, can I take this opportunity to give you the hard sell? For just £2.99 a month, which is, what, half a pint? None of us drink much, so I don't know. And <laughs> also, know. We've, none of us have been out for a pint yeah. in a year. All right, okay. So. I'll say, I'll, say, I'll, I'll, I'll use a term of measurement I understand. That's half a Singer box meal from KFC, all right? Or £32.99 a year, which is essentially one and a half full platter meals at Nando's. You will not only get a whole bunch of new spoiler special episodes every month, including weekly shows dedicated to breaking down the latest MCU and Star Wars shows on Disney+, Plus, so The Mandalorian, WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldier, and everything that's going to come after this. Um, whilst recent movie episodes have included Coming to America and I Care A Lot and upcoming movies getting the treatment include Ammonite and Greenland, but also you'll get access to our incredible archive over a hundred and, well, I think we're coming up to 150 spoiler specials now, just waiting for you right there for your delectation and listening pleasure. Uh, so you get the likes of Chris McQuarrie, those epic podcasts on Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation and Fallout. You get Sam Mendes on Spectre in 1917, Jordan Peele on Us, Quentin Tarrant. Tarantino on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Edgar Wright on the Three Flavors Cornetto Trilogy and Baby Driver and Scott Pilgrim and the Russo Brothers and Kevin Feige and Marcus McFeely on Avengers Endgame and many, many, many more. And the regular pod is out every Friday and like this show, it won't cost you a dime. But however you listen to us, until we meet again, until then, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from our squad cast names. Not all who wander are lost. <laughs> Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. It is goodbye from Hex Appeal. Ben Travis. Bye. It's goodbye from I Request Elaboration. Amon Warman. Peace. <laughs> I Request Elaboration. <laughs> oh, I entered that one, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> and it's goodbye from me, justice for the beekeeper. We never did find out what happened to that poor sword agent. Oh dear, poor fella. Uh, I'm off to swallow some chewing gum and perform some magic tricks for the children. For, for the, the children. children. Flourish! Flourish!